0: All right, thank you very, very much, Ed. Well, when I was in high school, uh, I had a Spanish teacher, uh, Senor Kegi, who was a very, very intelligent man. Uh, I think he knew like three different languages. But he also had a really kind of weird sense of humor. Uh, Just for fun, he would invent words. Uh, One of his invented words was the word compu-scraps. Uh, if you're old enough to remember old dot matrix printers, uh, they had this paper that would sit in the box and it was all kind of tied together. And on the edges were these holes. And, and the holes were what would, the little gears would grab to pull it through the dot matrix printer. But then when you, after you'd printed it, you needed to rip those uh, little e- edges off the holes so that you could then, uh, you know, have your paper. Well, you had this leftover paper and he called it scraps. Uh, another of his invented words was uh, residue marks. After he would wipe down the whiteboard or the chalkboard, there'd always be just a few little marks uh, left over. Those were residue marks. But probably my favorite invented word that Mr. Kagey had was lyric allotosis. <laughs> Lyric alatosis was when you thought you knew the words to a song But then suddenly you reached a point where you either kind of mumbled them Because you really didn't know the words Or you sang something else because you didn't know the original lyrics I need to confess that I have suffered lyric allitosis since birth my parents tell the story of when I was five years old, I came home from kindergarten and I was singing a new song that I had learned in music class. They immediately recognized it as the Beatles' famous song, the, uh, We All Live in a Yellow Submarine, but their little five-year-old kindergarten son was singing We All Live in a Copper Popperine. Now, I have no idea what a paparina is, but my five-year-old clearly knew because my parents said that I insisted those were the correct words. I also one day, apparently, after Sunday school at church, was riding in the car home. And as I'm singing through, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I reached verse three. And instead of singing, I have the peace that passes understanding down in my heart, I sang, I have the pickle patch of understanding down in my heart. Maybe this explains why I like pickles uh, so much. Well, I know that I am not the only person to suffer lyric alitosis. Uh I remember one very vivid moment in high school. Uh, my friends and I were sitting at the lunch table. We were just about done. And for some reason, one of my friends started singing the chorus to the famous Fine Young Cannibal song, uh, She Drives Me Crazy. And he starts singing, She Drives Me Crazy. But instead of singing, She Drives Me Crazy Like No One Else, He sang, she drives me crazy like old Montana. Yeah, my friends didn't let him forget that one anytime soon. Today, we're going to see the Jewish leaders suffer a form of lyric alitosis. I get, think of it like theological lyric alitosis. In fact, today, why don't we just do what my Spanish teacher did and let's just create our own word. These guys suffered theologic alitosis where they thought they knew the words to the songs of the Mosaic law. They thought they knew what God was trying to teach, but they were getting it all wrong. And Jesus shows up and he basically has to redefine their religion to help them understand what the song was originally supposed to be. Now, the reason you and I need to listen in today is because we make the same mistake as those first century Jewish leaders do. We often will think, we understand what these doctrines mean, how to follow God, but we sometimes make the exact same mistake. And so today, as we see Jesus correct their theologic allitosis, we're going to realize he's actually correcting ours so that he can teach us to sing the song of God's grace. So as we get ready to go into Mark chapter 2, let's pray. Uh, so Heavenly Father, as we get ready to jump into the scriptures, would you be our teacher today? And would you help correct the things that we've been getting wrong to draw us into a deeper relationship with you? Lord, no matter where uh, we are at spiritually, everyone that's listening to this, watching this, is at a different place in their spiritual walk. I believe you have the capability through your Holy Spirit to speak to their heart and their mind. So Lord, would you just move beyond my vocals through that I'm speaking to a camera and you would go straight into the heart and mind of your people and draw. draw them to you. May they see Jesus afresh and may they want to walk in your grace. So Lord, be our teacher now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you brought a Bible with you, please open it up to Mark chapter 2. If you're our first time guest with us, uh, like Ed said, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to get one. We honestly at Riverwood don't care if you go old fashioned like me and use a paper Bible or if you uh, have a a Bible on your phone, and we don't even get super particular about what translation. We just want you to have a good quality, reliable Bible that you can read, not just on Sundays when you come back and join Riverwood, but to read every day of your life. believe that getting into the scriptures and reading it and studying it, especially looking at the person and work of Jesus, it, it helps you begin to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen for you, or you can use that notes tab that's over there on the right side, uh, not the notes tab, but the Bible tab, and you can then uh, uh, go navigate your way to Mark chapter two. Um, but really, we want you to get a Bible. So go download one to your phone, find a way to get a, a paper copy, and get into this thing every single day. Now, today, we're going to be starting at verse And so we're going to be going from chapter 2, verse 18, all the way down to chapter 3, verse 6. Now, the reason I point that out is we're kind of going to be looking at three big chunks. And oftentimes when we look at a a big portion of the scripture, when someone reads it to us, our minds begin to wander. Did you know that a couple years ago, sociologists claimed that the attention span of of Americans is now less than that of a goldfish. Goldfish have an attention span of about nine seconds. Humans supposedly are at about eight seconds seconds. Let's not let the goldfish beat us today. This is important. So let's put our attention on the scripture. Let's go all the way from chapter 2, verse 18, all the way to 3, verse 6, and let's hear what God has for us. So would you please read along with me? Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Today, we see Jesus correct two major moments of theological alatosis where they were getting it wrong. It has to do with fasting and the Sabbath. Uh, Because we began with fasting, let's begin uh, there. If you had been reading through Luke 2, you would have, I mean, sorry, Mark 2, you would have come to the calling of Levi in verses 13 through 17. We've, al- we've already done that section. So that's why today we've skipped from verse 12 now down to 18. And so you'd be reading about how God, uh, how Jesus calls Levi, who is also known as Matthew, as a tax collector to follow him. Well, as we saw a few weeks ago, Levi as a tax collector would not have been very popular with the people. And so Levi's absolutely stunned that this famous, amazing rabbi would call him to follow him. And so Levi would leave everything behind, go and out of his joy, he'd throw a party. And so we see back in in verses like 15, 16, 17, Jesus at this party with these tax collectors and these sinners. And, And so with this food flowing and everyone enjoying themselves and eating, so people would notice And it made them wonder, well, John the Baptist, this really holy man, his disciples fast. And these Pharisees, the the great leaders of, of our religion, they fast. So Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Well, to answer that question, I want to ask you a question. What is the purpose of fasting? Maybe in your head, or maybe you said out loud, something to the effect of, well, fasting is to help you get closer to God. And I would actually af- affirm that. The, the idea behind fasting is I'm going to take something that's usually pretty good, but I'm going to set it aside for a time so that I can Go for that which is better. So the idea of I'm gonna fast from food for you know, a, a day or a week or for 40 days. I'm gonna fast from this so that I can remind myself that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very words of God, that God is enough. He can sustain me, he can strengthen me. I just wanna be closer to God. Or we, we fast from social media for, for Lent or maybe for a, a week. You know, we just put it aside so that we can devote ourselves more to, to prayer and to the reading of God's word. The idea is we give something up to get that which is better so that we can get closer to God. Unfortunately, though, the Pharisees were missing an important point here. Because Jesus is the Son of God. So how in the world could they get closer to God? He's right there in their midst. That's why Jesus says there in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. I mean, imagine you, you go to a, a wedding. The ceremony beautiful. And then you go to the reception afterwards. And the server comes up to you and says, would you like the chicken cordon bleu or the steak? And you respond, oh, no, 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 I'm I'm fasting because this is such a holy reverent moment. No, you take the food. I mean, I guess unless you're a vegetarian. Like it's a party. You celebrate. You're with them. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. I, as God, am here on the earth, God in the flesh, I'm with my people. So why take this old practice and try to apply it into this new type of situation? That's why he goes into this conversation about patches and wineskins. He's saying, guys, you don't take this and try to apply it into the situation. The day will come when I, as the bridegroom, will be taken away and then they'll fast. Then they'll want to remind themselves that, that they you know, are to cling to God and to come close to me. But until then, it's a party because God is here and I'm reestablishing my kingdom on earth. And so Jesus is trying to correct the theological alitosis. But what exactly is he correcting? Too often, I think that we see fasting as like a spiritual bribe. We, we think that if I do this, that maybe this will somehow like pay off God. It, it'll make him happy. He'll get off my back. He'll answer my, my prayer request. I've shared this story before, but it's, it's worth telling again. When I was working part-time at Meyer Pharmacy here in Waverly, I walked back into the break room one day and there was a box of Russell Stover's chocolates. Uh, Ryan and Kate, the owners of Meyer Pharmacy, do a fantastic job of leading that, that uh or, or their business, and they take great care of their employees. And so it's quite common to find, you know, some treats or something back there. And so here's this box of Russell Stover candies. And I remember one of my co-workers walking in and she lifts the lid. And you know how on, on many of these boxes of chocolate, they'll have like a map to, to you know show you where the different types of chocolates are. And so she reads the map and she selects her chocolate, puts the lid back on. And then she realizes there's another gal sitting right next to the table. And so she doesn't want to be rude. She offers the other gal the box of chocolates. And the, the, gal, the second gal's on her phone, and she says, oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> for the first gal, but you, you don't turn down chocolate. So she asks her, like, do you not like chocolate? She says, oh, no, I, I love chocolate. I'm just giving up chocolate for Lent. And then she tacks on, and oh, this has been so hard. I sure hope this makes God happy. So often that's what we do with fasting. We try to use it to somehow like, please God, I hope this makes him happy. I, I, I hope by doing this, he'll finally answer my prayer. I hope if I do this, it'll be good enough and, and God will accept me into his kingdom. That, that's kind of what the, the Pharisees were doing with fasting. It was to make themselves feel and look so holy that God would be so impressed with them. And Jesus is pointing out though, uh, no, you don't have to do this Because God is already fully satisfied with you through Christ. That's what the gospel shows us. That that you are, God is pleased with you. Not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You see, God hates sin, but he loves us. But yet, if he came to punish sin, we would bear the brunt of that. And so that's why Jesus came to step in between. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he who knew no sin, so Jesus never sinned. He who knew no sin, he became sin for us. And by doing so, he could absorb the wrath of God. So God's wrath could come against sin. Sin could be defeated. Sin could be destroyed. And we could come out alive and free. So do not use fasting to try to manipulate God to somehow think that you're gonna move him to to do more for you or to make yourself closer to him. Instead, use fasting to remind yourself that God is enough. So the first thing that he corrects is fasting. The second thing that we see Jesus correct is the Sabbath. Many years ago, I had the joy of seeing Raoul go from a hard-hearted foul-mouthed, God-mocking college student into a soft-hearted, generous Jesus follower. It was awesome to see his transformation. And I had the joy of seeing him for three years just really grow in a relationship with God. And so when he graduated college and prepared to move back to his home state, we talked about the importance of finding a really good, solid Bible-believing church. Well, one day I was able to connect with Raul Turns out he'd met some Christians out there who believed that you had to observe the Sabbath sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But it wasn't just that they were encouraged people to, to take a Sabbath. It was that they believed if you did not uphold this particular type of Sabbath, you were in sin, you were in error, and God would be so mad at you, he would not let you into heaven. You wouldn't even be a Christian. You wouldn't be saved. So in order to be saved, You had to observe the Sabbath. Raul ended up believing it so much, he began to argue with people online to the point that he cut people out of his life if they didn't agree exactly with him. And that's what happened to my relationship with Raul. It's a little bit of what the Pharisees believed. They believed if you were not upholding the Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, you were in error. You were breaking the Mosaic law and therefore, God would not be happy with you and you were breaking your covenant with him. And that is why they got so incensed at what they saw the disciples doing and what they saw Jesus doing. Because in their mind, you're breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus wants to correct these guys. He needs to redefine this area of their religion. He needed to correct their theologic alitosis. And he does it in chapter two, verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I see here two things that Jesus is correcting. Uh, The first is this, that the true Sabbath is about restoration. True Sabbath is about restoration. When you sleep at night, you're allowing your body to recover from the previous day's activity and and to be restored and prepared for the new day. Uh, If you're doing an exercise workout, you often will take uh, little breaks throughout it to allow your heart rate to get back down, to allow your lungs to recover so that you could begin to continue the rest of the workout. Rest is so important. You were not designed to go, 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 go 24 seven. It just, it can't be done. I uh, used to listen to this podcast uh, quite a while ago and the, one of the, the hosts of this podcast uh, had to step away because there were some allegations that had come out that basically he was a jerk. And while I was really, really sad because he, he was a really good host, it, I wasn't totally surprised because one of the ongoing jokes throughout the podcast was how little sleep this guy got. He, he almost wore it like a badge of honor. He worked all the time. And so he only got about three, maybe four hours of sleep every night. Well, I know that when I don't get enough sleep, I'm short in temper. Uh, I'm not as patient. Uh, My emotions are a wreck, not to mention the physical things that often happen to me. And I realize everyone's different. Some people, they only need six or seven. Some people need more like eight or nine, maybe even 10. But the human body was not made to have an ongoing of three and four hours every night. No wonder this guy was a jerk. Probably just didn't have the capability to have the patience and to truly listen because he was just simply tired. You need rest. And that is why God instituted the Sabbath because he knew that for the people to be at maximum productivity, they could work hard for six days, but then they needed a 24-hour period to just breathe. Breathe. So the whole purpose of the Sabbath was to bring restoration. That is why Jesus was not bothered when his disciples were walking through the field and just picking up uh, the the heads of grain off the stalks. I had the joy of growing up in a a house from about age five to 15 where we had this huge large yard and there was a, a bunch of wild blackberry and raspberry bushes around. And so during the summers, my mom was a school teacher. And so in the summers when she didn't have school, she'd go on a walk for exercise and then she'd just go through our entire yard, picking any berries that were ripe and ready. And so I grew up having all sorts of like, you know, raspberry jam or blackberry syrup, or, you know, just put them in our uh, fruit salad fresh. It was awesome. But we also had some neighbors who had a grapevine just growing on their fence, and they did nothing with it. They did no pruning. They, they, they just paid no attention to it. And so they did not care if us neighborhood kids would stop by and pluck a few grapes and have a little afternoon snack. Now, my mom, when she went around to those berry bushes, she was harvesting. It was, in a sense, work. But when me and my friends were plucking the grapes off, we weren't harvesting, we weren't taking them to plan to do anything else with them. We were just enjoying a little snack. That's what's going on with Jesus's disciples. They were not harvesting the grain in order to take it back, to turn it into flour so it could be made into bread. They're just really plucking it off, like a little seed, a little nut, popping it into their mouth, little snack. Because what's more restorative than to walk outside on a beautiful day with a bunch of your friends and have a little something to eat? In Jesus's mind, this was the heart of the Sabbath. A true Sabbath is about restoration. That's why Jesus got so upset and disappointed with the Pharisees in the synagogue because they're standing there and they see this guy with the shriveled hand. Who knows if they even brought him in on purpose, hoping that they could catch Jesus. Because in their minds, a physician has six days to do healing for people. And so a physician is supposed to just relax and take a break and not work. But Jesus isn't a physician. He's a carpenter. He's a, he's a rabbi. And the healing that's going to take place is clearly a God-inspired healing. It wasn't because he gave him the right medicine or told him the right you know, physical therapy techniques. In Jesus's mind, this guy has been trapped. He can't truly rest because one of his hands is shriveled. The Net Bible says that probably was, uh, what it was, was, his hand was paralyzed. Nerves had been broken and damaged. But when Jesus said, stretch out your hand, he stretches it out and God miraculously heals him and he is restored. It got back to the heart of the Sabbath. So Jesus is trying to teach us that true Sabbath is about restoration. It's about restoration, The second thing I think Jesus is teaching us here is that true Sabbath is found in Jesus. True Sabbath is found in Jesus. Look again there at verse 28. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now we are just getting into chapter three. Uh, Here we have been in this book for nine weeks. So we took one week at Easter to go into chapter four, but we haven't really gotten all that far in this 16 chapter uh, uh, letter, I mean, record that Mark puts together. And yet already, Mark has shown us the authority of Jesus. We have seen it already time and time again, and we're going to continue to see it over and over and over. And so Jesus's words here are saying, yep, this is another area that I have authority. And did you notice he says that he's Lord even of the Sabbath. It's like, yep, Lord also of the Sabbath. But we could could even take that word even out, and the meaning is still there. Jesus could have just said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And I did some digging this week. I I am not fluent in Greek. And so I I was using tools to help me see. And it does not say that he he said that he is Lord over the Sabbath. It said that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I I think he could have said he's Lord over the Sabbath. After all, as God, he's the one who established the Sabbath day. He's the one who put it into place so that people could rest and be restored. And so by saying he's Lord over it, it means... He could change it. I mean, he has the authority and right to go, you know what? It worked great back then, but it's not needed any longer. We'll just get rid of it. But that's not his purpose. He came to help restore the original intent. He was redefining the religion for him because they thought the Sabbath was all about these things that you pile on top of it to observe the Sabbath. And Jesus is here like, no guys, it's not about all these things you've got to hold. It's about restoration. He's trying to knock these things off to get back to the heart of it. And that's why he says, I am Lord Lord. Of the Sabbath. Well, Tim Keller points out that when he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, it also means that he is the Sabbath, that Jesus is the Sabbath. You see, the word Sabbath means deep peace, a deep rest. Uh, the, the, a Hebrew synonym would be the word shalom. The word shalom didn't just mean peace, like peace that's around you. It didn't even mean that you would appear to be peaceful. It meant that you had a deep peace, a peace that was so deep that even things around you may have been completely chaotic. You could have shalom. And that was the purpose of the Sabbath to help restore this shalom within the people. And this is what we see in the gospel. You see, religion so often tries to get us to strive to get to God. That's why we got to work and work and work. And why? We even, as a work, uphold a Sabbath. But Jesus came along trying to point out, uh, sorry, guys, you can't do this on your own. I mean, 4,000 some years of the Mosaic law should have shown the Jewish people, we can't do this on our own. We can't earn our way to God. So that's why God, instead of wanting us to work our way to him, he comes down for us. And Jesus then lives the life we should have lived. He lived perfectly upholding the, the Mosaic law. But then instead of, a dying, instead of requiring us to die, he goes and dies in our place. And by doing so, he pays off the penalty of sin and we become free. And that spiritual freedom brings us a deep spiritual rest. Jesus is our Sabbath, which means if you find yourself in the middle of this pandemic filled with anxiety, Jesus is your rest. If you find yourself worried about your future, whether it be financially or whatever, he is your shalom. That if you maybe find yourself uh, worried about your your to-do list or kind of what's coming next, he is your rest. And if you're worried about your relationship with God, Jesus is your Sabbath. So you do not need to strive to get to God. You need to actually rest to get to God because he is there in the quiet. You don't have to work and earn and try to manipulate God so that you can feel more saved or or to get him to answer your, your prayers. Instead, you need to rest and quiet your soul and just seek to find your identity in him. But then a funny thing happens when you begin to find your identity in Jesus, when you actually begin to truly rest in him. Because now, instead of trying to use the Sabbath to to get to God, you use the Sabbath to truly rest in God. Instead of trying to use the the fasting to to like manipulate God and, and give him a spiritual bribe, you actually use fasting to remind yourself that you are dependent upon God. Instead of using the scriptures to try to impress God with how much you know, you now go to the scriptures because you are impressed by God and you want to get to know him better. Instead of going to God in prayer, hoping that you can somehow like placate God, you now go to him in prayer because he is your loving heavenly father. Instead of giving, trying to like pay off some sort of divine mob boss, you actually give generously because Jesus gave generously to you. When, when you buy the, the Pharisees' idea of religion, it's going to leave you worn out, and you're not going to enjoy fasting, and you're not going to enjoy rest. But when you begin to learn the words of grace and sing this song, you find your definition redefined of what religion is, and it makes all the difference in the world. So may you stop your striving. Instead, may you find your rest in Jesus, because He is your Sabbath. Jesus, we thank you that you are our rest. Would you help us to truly rest in you? to rest in you in your scriptures, to rest in you in, in prayer, to just rest in you in your presence, to rest in you in song, to rest in you in our growth groups, to rest in you in the quiet, to rest in you when we are full of anxiety about the future, to just rest in you in all moments. Because Jesus, you came for us. We can't get to you. We can work and work and work, but we can never do it. Our sin holds us back but Jesus, you came to untether us from that sin so that we might be free and we could run into your loving arms. So Jesus, we say thank you for coming. Thank you for redefining fasting, for redefining the Sabbath, for truly being the Sabbath and help us in each and every day, in each and every moment to find our rest in you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.